Gather round, one and all, and listen to tales of excitement and adventure. Tales of daring heroes, savage monsters, and bards who just couldn't keep it in their pants. Tales of friendship, nobility, drunken foolishness, and unforgettable fun. These are tales of role-playing games, fair listeners, and this is Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome to Rollin' Bones, your RPG treasure trove. Uh, my name is Ryan Howard. I am your host and king of the Boneheads, and joining us again this evening, uh, you know her from several different games. Uh, she's had several big announcements come out, uh, and she's back on Rollin' Bones following the Jungsha campaign that we talked about last time. Ladies and gentlemen, Boneheads alike, give it up for banana chan banana welcome back hi everyone thanks again for having me back on the show absolutely anytime you you are as we were talking about before the show you're always working on so much at the same time uh there there's always plenty to talk about even if some of the stuff we can't actually talk about unfortunately yeah but uh i try to stay busy mm-hmm well, I did uh, promise a funny story when we went on the air about one of the projects you worked on not too terribly long ago, that being uh, Betrayal at Mystery Manor, the Scooby-Doo version of Betrayal at the House of the Hill. Um, and I might have oversold this as a funny story, but it, it's definitely... I'm still curious. <laughs> it, it's definitely a, a interesting look at... Uh, the group dynamic of one of my friend groups but one of my friends uh was you know shooting us a group message and he said hey everyone check this out someone made a scooby-doo version of betrayal and just kind of ran down all the stuff in the game and the assumption amongst my group was that this was like a fan project or something that someone did just in their spare time. And I was like, I know someone who worked on that. And that just kind of got glossed over. And then later, <laughs> one of my friends was like, wait, this is real? <laughs> and the friend who brought it up was like, yeah, this is actually like a real thing. This is a real product. And you know, awesome. posted the, the box art and everything. I was like, yeah. And I know someone who worked on it. <laughs> and even then, they were just like, okay, yeah, whatever. This is real? <laughs> That's really funny. Um, I think before this had become like a thing, there were people out there that were making their own hack versions of uh, Scooby slash Betrayal. Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe they came into contact with like, you know, a, a previous project that someone had been working on uh, for their own personal use. Oh, I mean, like they, everything they posted, links and everything. I was like, no, that's, that's the one. That's, that's Banana's <laughs> game. Uh <laughs> Well, did you get a chance to try it at least? Uh, I haven't gotten the chance to try it yet because that that friend group's in North Carolina and, oh, and I'm gotcha. in Tennessee, so yeah, yeah, it's a little tricky to play games right now, mm. <laughs> unfortunately. Yep. 
Yeah, but I mean, a Scooby-Doo version of Betrayal seems like a layup to me. It, it honestly surprises me that we got a D&D &D version of Betrayal before we got a Scooby-Doo version. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, it probably had something to do with the licensing. Uh, so yeah, I'm not sure what the details are, but it probably has something to do with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I don't... No, I don't remember who holds the Scooby-Doo license. It might be AT&T at this point, but I can see, you know, with, you know, Wizards being, you know, a parent company and, and Hasbro, mm -hmm. it's easy to get the D&D &D license to make Betrayal at Baldur's Gate, more so than right. having to go through the red tape of dealing with Warner Brothers AT&T to get Scooby-Doo. So right. that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, because just I mean, not that not not that I'm assuming that you know all the departments or all the you know different umbrella companies are all in the same you know office or anything, but I'm assuming it'd be easier since they're all under Hasbro. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, like from the first time I played Betrayal, uh, I just looked at this and I was like, "You could this is Sco this is a Scooby Doo game just in, in everything <laughs> but name." Uh, now one of the party like turning on the other ones and and some of the grizzly stuff that can happen it's it's like a little bit more uh grimdark scooby-doo but still the mm -hmm. the pieces are all there so the fact that that's out there is amazing and again the fact that you know it's you who worked on it also amazing <laughs> Thank you. I hope people like it. Uh, I did quite a bit of research on uh, on Scooby. I mean, I was a fan before this as well, uh, but I had to rewatch a lot of episodes of uh, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? and some of the movies as well, uh, just to get the haunts together. Yep. Scooby-Doo is, it, it's one of those franchises that I just love. I, I will always have a love and appreciation for Scooby-Doo. Pretty much everything Scooby-Doo is great. The theme park that I went to growing up, Carowinds, there was a Scooby-Doo ride where uh, you went through a haunted... It was like the Buzz Lightyear ride at Disney. You went through a haunted house and you had like laser guns and you shot ghosts, what? basically. That is so cool. <laughs> yeah, so I would. Is it still there or is that... The ride is still there, but... It used to be Paramount's Carowinds. Now it's just Carowinds and it's owned by Cedar Fair. So all the license stuff mm -hmm. went away. Uh, uh, so the ride itself is still there, but it's not Scooby-Doo anymore. And they scrubbed all the Scooby-Doo off of it. Oh, unfortunately. that's really sad. <laughs> but I mean, I still probably go. It sounds like a fun place. <laughs> oh yeah, Carowinds is great. Carowinds is one of my favorite places on earth. But... You know, even more than that, I had a best friend down the street who was super into Scooby-Doo. I watched What's New Scooby-Doo growing up, as well as Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? The fact that What's New Scooby-Doo is like 20 years old now still kind of boggles my mind. Yeah, it is really strange to think about that. Like, some of these episodes are now probably 10, 15, 20 years old. I mean, Where Are You is, uh, well, I guess that's... That's, that's a like 50 lot years of years. Yeah, that's yeah. 50. Oh, right, because the 50-year anniversary was recently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, it's it's really weird to think about. Mm -hmm. And and even those silly, ridiculous movies that came out in the early 2000s, I have a lot of affection for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really liked... Uh, did you remember the Cyber Chase one? Yes. 
that was like <laughs> that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that one. A, a few years ago, when when my wife and I were still dating, um, I got my niece for like her sixth or seventh birthday. I guess it would have been her sixth birthday. I got her a DVD collection of, I think it was Cyber Chase, Zombie Island, uh, the vampire one where it's at a rock festival. I can't remember what that one's called. And then the witch's ghost. Those were oh, the those four are that were good. in there. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good series of movies. Yeah. yeah. I think, um, I would say out of all of them, uh, probably Zombie Island uh, is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Though it doesn't have anything to do with zombies, really. I mean, it kind of does, but it's more like cat people, right? It's like we're cat mm-hmm. people <laughs> and like fewer zombies, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, with zombies, you, you get into this weird gray area of they're a classic horror monster and you want to be able to, you know, show them in Scooby-Doo, which showcases classic horror. But then you get into the whole undead and it's for kids. So... Right. Yeah. yeah. That's a that's a tricky line to walk, especially for like if you're writing for kids or if you're mm-hmm. making content for kids, it's a little um it, it's some stuff that you have to think about. Yeah. Absolutely. And and lest anyone think we're getting too far afield of role playing games, remember that Matthew Lillard plays D D, so to tie it all back together. Yes, he does. Imagine playing D&D with Matthew Lillard. That would be so cool. Yes, that would be amazing. Mm -hmm. There was was this one episode of Big Bang Theory. You guys are going to have to forgive me for bringing this up. But it was like a celebrity D&D game night that the the guys kept rotating in and out of. And it was... uh, Will Wheaton was running it. But it was Joe Manganiello... Uh, Kevin Smith, oh. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and William Shatner. And I know, like, two of them don't play, William Shatner and and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but Kevin Smith and uh, Joe Manganiello yeah. being in there was, was hilarious. Yeah. I finally got to mil- uh, meet Will Wheaton for the first time, um, I think, like, a few months. I can't even tell the difference between, like, months anymore. <laughs> Uh, but I finally got to meet him for the first time, and he's very cool. He's very nice. Awesome. Yeah. Elfie will be very happy to hear that. <laughs> my, my wife is a huge uh, Star Trek fan. Oh, and even awesome. She, she's more into DS9, but I think, I, I think I could convince her to play another game of D&D if I could somehow get Will Wheaton involved. Yeah, I, I feel like he would probably be really chill with that he's now uh, a brand ambassador for bicycle cards so he's getting back into games a lot Hmm. as long as he stays away from dice yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah so beyond betrayal at mystery mansion which you know obviously is fantastic uh to to kind of tie up some ends from the last time you were on the show um Obviously, at this point, the campaign for uh, Zhengshu is closed. Uh, you guys have the print material submitted. Yes. And uh, at this point, you know, m- myself and the rest of the backers were just kind of waiting for uh, fulfillment to, to begin. So uh, what are you guys kind of looking towards the future? What, what do things look like for Zhengshu once 
the uh, the backer fulfillment begins? What what does that process kind of look like for you guys? Um, so I could talk a little bit about what it looks like behind the scenes with publishing in general. Uh, so now, so what it looked like uh, from the beginning was that we got, you know, all of our print materials ready, all of our graphic design, all of our art, all of our written stuff ready. So uh, we had to go through all the stretch goals and everything and uh, get that handled. Um, before we could send it out to layout. So um, Matthias Benici, he's our graphic designer slash layout artist, and he did such an amazing job uh, going through all of our edits and all of um, all of our uh, many, many, uh, probably we got a little bit too much of like a perfectionist mindset near the end, uh, but he managed to like, you know, go through all of it. He was very patient with us. And uh, he fixed up the PMP for us, the print and play for us. So that's already sent out to backers. Uh, and now uh, after, you know, uh, a bit of time, he's gotten to do all the, the print stuff. So the print stuff is already ready. It's been sent to the printers. The printers, uh, what they do from here on out is send us proofs. So uh, usually they send us three different kinds of proofs. So the first proof would be the digital proof. Uh, so everything is, you know, laid out in uh, in the correct way. There are no uh, no spelling mistakes. Uh, you know, the artwork is correct. All of that stuff. Uh, and then the second proof would be the the print proof. So the print proof, the first print proof, is usually just like on sheets of paper. So uh, it's like sheets to sheets of paper, uh, and everything would be laid out on these sheets. And uh, you would just like read through it, make sure that like you know everything. Uh, anything that's double-sided is, you know, correct. Uh, all the materials are correct uh, before sending out a uh, sort of like a final proof. So the final proof is like the physical proof. So you get the box, you get like everything, all the components inside. And then once that's been approved, uh, then they start shipping out the um, the materials, like the, the units, the copies out to our distributor. So uh, once those are done, sent to the distributor, the distributor handles all the shipping uh, all over the place and uh, they take care of that. So luckily um, it's like an easier process if you were to send it out to a distributor, we have to pay them a fee of course, uh, but it is a lot easier doing it that way versus doing it all yourself. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And I, I do have to applaud you guys for running a, a great campaign here um, I, I've made a couple videos recently uh, just kind of complaining about the Kickstarter process as a whole because, again, in the interest of clarity, everyone who is a regular on the show, you guys already know about my, my woes as far as uh, the Batman the Animated Series Kickstarter. But suffice it to say, I am dealing with one Kickstarter campaign as a backer where the company is making promises and then not uh, following up on those promises. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're overextending themselves greatly and causing a lot, of, uh, a lot of strife in the comment section. And you guys have been great about communication. You know, obviously, sometimes circumstances are out of control. Um, mm -hmm. Things happen. Kickstarters, you know, you, you can never tell what's going to end up happening or how long things are going to take. And I just want to say that you guys have been great about making sure that everyone is up to date on what's going on and uh, just, you know, keeping a good community there in, in the Kickstarter campaign. 
Thank uh, you. Whereas other companies have been just kind of letting it get out of control as far as people being upset and uh, <laughs> making, you. giving them reasons to be upset. And you guys have not given us any reason to be upset. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, honestly, that's really nice to hear. Uh, we were lucky in, uh, well, I guess maybe not lucky. We did plan a little bit ahead. So Sam and I did uh, write the bulk of the stuff already. So uh, we were hoping that the units would have been shipped out to everyone sooner, but unfortunately pandemic and uh, the shipping costs have risen. And also there's a shortage in uh, shipping containers, mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of strange. I mean, it's not strange, it's to be expected, uh, you know, with everything that's going on right now. Uh, but that's really nice to hear. So thank you. Like, you know, thanks for being so patient with all of us and hanging in there with everything. Absolutely. And it's, it's a game that when I backed it, I knew exactly who I was going to play it with. And this, th this kind of, you know, delay in the process has given a, it more time for things to clear up so that everyone can kind of be comfortable coming together. And mm -hmm. I can actually play this game in person with these people once it arrives, hopefully, uh, you know, things will be good and, and they'll be good to, you know, come over and play it, actually. So that's at least a silver lining of the delays itself. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I'm glad that worked out. Yeah, it's been very strange lately. <laughs> and uh, speaking of, of Send, you guys are actually working on a few games this year. Uh, wh <sighs> what all are you guys currently working on? Uh, you know, what? Which of these games can you talk about? T tell us a little bit about what you and and Sen have coming up uh, now that uh, things are rolling as far as the uh, uh, sending out of Jungshu. So um, we are working on a few different things. Uh, I don't want to say too much about what's going on with Jiangsha just yet because we're not <laughs> entirely sure what's going on with it just yet. Yeah. Uh, but we are thinking about uh, different kinds of mediums for the story. Uh, so I can say that, uh, but I can't say anything else about it just yet. Um, we are also working on three different games together for this year. Uh, when they're released, we're not entirely sure just yet, um, but uh, we can say that they have been picked up. They are going to, uh, they're hopefully gonna get either released on Kickstarter, um, sorry, not released, but they're going to go to Kickstarter either this year or next year. Um, so stuff is happening. Uh, one of them uh, that I think I can talk about is a rock band game. Uh, so you are playing, uh, uh, you're playing two, two, um, I guess like two, uh, actually I'm not too sure how to explain this. Um, so you're playing like your kid self as like, you know, a kid who's like in your senior year and you're like starting a rock band or you're ending a rock band. Uh, to be more exact. And uh, later on, you're going to be playing as your adult self 20 years later when the after the band's been broken up and everything as like a little reunion type of thing. So it's got this sort of ennui that's happening uh, where, you know, you are playing in the majority of the game as like a kid uh, and you have to, you know, figure things out. You have to like sort out the, you know, the, the bands, trying to make sure that you get merch, trying to get uh, trying to get like the equipment ready and all of that. Um, meanwhile, 
the player you like you know in the back of your mind you know that the band's going to break up so uh you're trying to give it your all and you know you're trying to make this like the the best night possible for your for your band even if it's not going to be uh <laughs> that's all determined by like scoring and all that stuff at the very end um but then like the the this sort of like bittersweet moment is when you meet up as adults and you're just like reminiscing about the past. Uh, so the game is really cool. It's um, it's sort of like this DIY thing where you're making a poster. Uh, so uh, each scene that you have, you uh, when you finish a scene, you go ahead and you find like a, a magazine and you like flip through the pages and you find like an image that best represents that that scene and you cut it up and you like paste it on the, the poster. That is super interesting. Uh, I I will I will go ahead and put myself down as being in for uh, for this. Thank you for for several reasons. I I am a huge rock music fan. Uh, for one, I used to before Rolling Bones ever existed. I did a podcast that started specifically just about one rock band and Ooh. expanded to be about rock music in general. Uh, that one band was Rush, for anyone who's curious, that... I'm Canadian, so... Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm very interested in this podcast now. Yeah. Unfortunately, because once I moved, I was unemployed for a while and I couldn't afford to keep the servers up, that podcast uh... is lost to time, so it's not available oh. anymore. Um, but we... I mean, I, I did years and years of content just about rush and then years of content about other albums that myself and my co-host at the time were interested in so music is a passion of mine and i live in nashville i'm surrounded by it um yeah but also one of my favorite movies like top five movies of all time is that thing you do oh yeah so this well, yeah oh, sorry go ahead no i was just gonna say you might really enjoy this game <laughs> yeah the idea of you know simultaneously being you know like we're young we're at the you know height of our powers we can do anything we can be the greatest rock band in the world but knowing in the back of your mind as the player that this is not going to at some point this is all going to end and right. we're we're gonna come back later uh after this ended before we thought it was that that sense of you know youthful uh vigor and energy and and pushing towards being the greatest rock band of all time but knowing it's not going to last knowing that the rug's gonna get pulled out from under you at any minute that appeals to me as as someone who loves rock music and and loves stories about stuff like that so I, I'm in. Awesome. Well, if you have some time later, maybe we could schedule a playtest. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Just just let me know. Awesome. It also sounds like there's a, a little bit of Bill and Ted in there as well. Uh, there is a little bit. So uh, I would say Bill and Ted 3 more okay. than yeah. uh, Bill and Ted like the 1 and 2. Uh, just because of the, you know, the, I would say like the back and forth like age thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, that sounds amazing. Do, 
are, are you guys like revealing a title for it now or is that coming down the line what, what's this game called uh so we do have a title it's called okay. one night only um and I'm not sure if I'm allowed to release any other details about okay. it just yet. Uh, but hopefully, I think uh, I think it's coming out sometime this year uh, on Kickstarter. Gotcha. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, that, that will be a ton of fun. I'm especially looking forward to, and I know you can't say much else about it, but I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing like what kind of what kind of art comes with this game. Oh, like if, I am so excited for the art. <laughs> I cannot wait for the art. Um, I think uh, alongside with the art, I think just like having an artifact as well, like after creating, like after playing the game, it's cool to have something, right? Like mm -hmm. that represents your playthrough. Um, so I'm excited to see what people come up with when they, uh, when they piece this thing together. Definitely. Yeah, the, the idea that you're making your own poster as you go i i mean like you mentioned there are there are very few ways that you can like truly have an artifact of a campaign i try to keep artifacts of campaigns through like miniatures i always do a miniature for the big bad but other than that like if you, if the game just doesn't use miniatures like this game won't mm -hmm. unless you try very very hard i suppose <laughs> Yeah, I used to keep all my old character sheets, but mm. it's it's gotten to the point where it's like, where am I going to keep all these? Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you do with them? <laughs> but there there is something very cool about having a physical thing that reminds you of a specific group that you played with. And, you know, having something like that where, mm -hmm. you know, I can look over at my, uh, my Balor miniature that I have over here and remember the first campaign I ever ran, you could look at that poster and remember, uh, you know, the, the fun time you had with your friends playing that game. Yeah, absolutely. I, I hope that people will enjoy making their own pieces of art. Um, and like, if they wanted to digitize it and post it online, that would be cool too. So we could see what you make. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Cool. So yeah, I mean, super excited about that i god that sounds amazing <laughs> you just I'm blew glad. my mind there i love that <laughs> i'm really glad i i really hope that you like this game it's been uh, a little weirder playing play testing it online um just because like you know you don't have a uh like a physical poster everything's like digital so uh we're using what we got we're using slides like google slides we're using like uh jamboard uh different apps like that um and what we're asking players to do is we're asking them to like save photos on the internet like whatever you find online just like copy and paste it uh onto like the poster itself so it still has that uh that's this it still uses the same mechanics kind of <laughs> um but uh, it's going to be interesting comparing and contrasting like the two different uh, the two different styles. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And this also fits thematically, although it's a different genre. It's it's a game about music, but also with that, uh, you guys did a, a K-pop game as well, too, right? 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, I published recently uh, under Game and Akuri, uh, Cleo Gensu Davis and Vicky Ho's game Battle of the Boy Bands. Mm. Um, so that's like a, it's a, it's a card game. It's a take that slash drafting uh, card game where you're playing music managers, uh, boy band managers, <laughs> and you're trying to like make the best boy band and <laughs> you're trying to sabotage other people's boy bands and uh, do all the fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I imagine people get pretty into that because I know that boy band fandom has never died. <laughs> yeah, I think it's lasted since, uh, what was it? I, I mean, I guess like the Beatles were the original boy band, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a long run. And like, everyone seems to like stick to their guns as far as their, their band of choice, whether you're of the uh in sync backstreet boys generation or your the jonas brothers generation or one direction my mm-hmm. my older sister still sticks to 98 degrees and i'm i i don't <laughs> so i think uh okay maybe it's not 98 degrees uh but one of our backers actually got a boy band like a member of a boy band to like say like make a video for us <laughs> which was just like the most the, it was the coolest thing ever uh but i can't remember which band he was from <laughs> he's like oh i mean he's not like you know a kid mm-hmm. anymore he's not in his like you know early teens late early 20s or whatever mm-hmm. or sorry late teens early 20s anymore he's like you know i think like our age or you know in his 40s um but it was really exciting to see oh, yeah. that yeah that's great Mm-hmm. but yeah that stuff like that is is always very interesting D- turning another medium into the gaming medium and and the different ways that you can do that is is extremely fascinating and so it's it's cool that you guys are uh working with people who do that and then also doing it uh yourself with with this uh one night only that's that's coming at some point i'm so i'm super excited for that game now i'm I'm Honestly. really glad. <laughs> yeah, I would love to have you play a test, um, you know, or like, you know, even sit in a session or like, you know, go through our notes or something if you want. <laughs> Absolutely. I'd love to do that. Cool. So aside from that, uh, what else do you currently have going on? Like what <laughs> what kind of, uh, let me put it this way. What project are you super excited about right now that you're able to talk about? Uh, so I am very excited for uh, Van Richten's Guide to a Ravenloft. Um, the team that I worked with on that was great. Uh, that was a super fun project. I'm also really excited for Dune uh, Adventures in the Imperium. That's coming out, I believe. I believe that's being released in April. So uh, Dune is April. Oh, sorry. Yes, Dune is April. And then uh, Ravenloft is May. Um, and then I think uh, I'm also working on a game with uh, Austin Knight and Amanda Call. Uh, we're working on a game together called Demos Academy, which is a coloring book tabletop RPG. Um, so uh, you're all 
uh, and this is sort of like similar to One Night Only in terms of like your adults returning back to uh, this, this old boarding school that's very creepy that you used to attend uh, as kids. And uh, you're trying to figure out why you're all there. You're trying to figure out like, you know, what's the, what's the creepy thing that lives under this, uh, this, this boarding school. Uh, so I'm very excited for that. Absolutely. Now, as far as the uh, the coloring book side of things, is that like a mechanical factor in the game or is that just like, here's the book and it's also a coloring book? How does that factor in? So uh, it does have mechanics. So the, the coloring book is actually a part of the mechanics. Gotcha. Um, and how it works is you are going to different rooms in the, in the, in the boarding school. So as you're collecting memories, as you're uh, rolling dice, uh, certain things will allow you to color in parts of the room. And uh, when you color things in, that lets you, um, that lets you remember things as your character. Um, and you're also uh, able to fill in fears so your fears, uh, as you go through different rooms, they get collected and they turn into the big bad thing at the very end that you have to, to overcome or defeat. Uh, at the very end, we're using this sort of maze thing. So using your, uh, your coloring pencils, you're trying to go through this maze and escape the, escape the, the boarding school. Um, and when you fail rolls or when you don't do so well, uh, you get new clothes for your for your character so the the characters like they're little paper dolls that uh, amanda call is working on uh, and they're gorgeous uh these paper dolls they get paper clothes uh that get pinned on them when in when they like don't do so well in in roles uh and that sort of like represents them returning back to to the school that they used to go to gotcha I, I'm noticing a theme in a lot of this stuff that you're working on of kind of the mixing of mediums within kind of the gaming sphere. Is that has that become something that you're uh, like passionate about as a creator? Is that kind of where your head's at recently? To tell tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think so. Um, so I've always so I started uh, getting into games uh, or writing games at least through LARP um, and. I did a lot of like weird experimental LARPs and that was like sort of one of the things that got me really passionate about writing and making and, you know, doing things that are experiential for, um, you know, for people to play, for people to, to participate in. Um, I think games are sort of like, you know, it, it's nice to have like a category or a label for a game so that that way you know what to get yourself into, like, you know, you know what to expect. But I think also at the same time, it's nice to experiment with mediums. It's nice to, you know, sort of look at what other things are um, are out there so that you can sort of incorporate that into, into your own medium and into your own games. Um, my dream is to have a diorama RPG, like I would love to have a dollhouse RPG. Uh, and I was working on that. That's actually what um, Deimos Academy was supposed to be. Uh, but <laughs> I realized that dollhouses are very expensive and mm -hmm. it's probably not a good idea to, to, ask, um, to ask people to spend like a, a lot of money on like different, you know, dollhouse parts or dollhouse stuff. It's, um, but it is a dream. It is like something that I want to do eventually. Yeah, that's... I mean, talk about ambition. <laughs> that, 
that would be an undertaking, I imagine. Yeah. Um, so we have thought about it. We were like, you know, working on it. Uh, what we, what I wanted to do originally was a take on uh, the nutshell studies, which is a uh, a series of dioramas from uh, this uh, this I would say like artist slash heiress with a lot of time, uh, <laughs> and so um, her name is Frances. Uh, Lee Glesner, and she made like a whole series of these murder doll houses. So in each of these dioramas, she would depict like murder scenes. And uh, they were so, you know, like very detailed. They were so detailed that uh, I think eventually forensic scientists were like, hey, we should use this for our own, you know, our own classes and things like that. Um, and it was like, on an exhibition some time ago in uh, in Washington uh, D.C., and I was like so excited about it because I've been wanting to like look through it for for a very long time. So that sort of like ignited this like I want to make a a murder dollhouse and I want people to like play with this thing, um, which of course later on I was just like this is very expensive. Maybe maybe I should think about this. <laughs> uh, so we tried to do it with paper. We tried making like paper dolls. We tried making like a uh, paper dioramas and everything uh and it worked it was uh it was definitely a thing that did work um but then later on we came to the conclusion that not everyone likes paper craft and this would be like a very very hard sell <laughs> yeah definitely and elfie elfie used to work at like an an upscale toy store um Ooh. specifically um focused on on dolls uh so you know ha having th th there is a a market out there that would be super interested in something like that the the trick would be finding the cross-section of doll collectors and role players <laughs> or getting doll collectors to try role-playing because i could see uh if you could somehow sell an rpg of some sort like a a codified mm -hmm. rule set of basically play for mm -hmm. something like Barbie or American Girl, an established mm -hmm. brand, something yeah. like that would be super interesting, uh, at, yeah. at least to a certain subset of people, and also serve as kind of a gateway to role playing. Even though you know, mm -hmm. to be perfectly honest, doll play is role play. It's it's role play at a different level nebulously defined rules usually no rules but as a as a way to like kind of lead people who collect dolls and play with dolls into role-playing something like that would be super interesting it's just a matter of kind of finding the right entrance into into that yeah. market yeah, we were thinking about how Gaslands, uh, and by we, I mean uh, my partner and I and Game and a Curry, uh, we were thinking about Gaslands, how they use uh, Hot Wheels. Um, and like all the rules are there, everything is like pre-made for you. You just have to like customize your your little cars and like, you know, do all that, uh, do all the fun stuff that I really enjoy with, uh, with your cars. Um, and we were thinking about Polly Pockets, but Polly Pockets have gotten expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's sort of weird how like things that used to be uh, that 
you used to think were just like, oh, you know, those are kind of cheap. These are like kids' toys, right? Uh, now they're just like a little more expensive than they used to be. So maybe we'll do it with Polly Pockets or, you know, Barbie dolls or whatever dolls that we can find. Yeah, toys in general, I honestly think it's an internet thing and a video game thing, but kids don't play with toys very much anymore. Mm -hmm. So a lot of toys have become a lot more articulated and detailed and as a result more expensive so right. toys are honestly more marketed to adults now than kids and, and like kids don't really play with toys all that often anymore which is a, a shame because i was a toy loving kid i Honestly, thinking back on my childhood, the amount of time I spent playing with my Green Army Men or my G.I. Joes or my superhero figures, the fact that I didn't get into roleplay sooner honestly surprises me. But, you know, th that kind of, that aspect of play exists, but is definitely not as prominent as it once was. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah, I think that... Uh... It, it is kind of sad because, you know, we're seeing a lot more of this shift towards social media and people are like kids, you know, getting, um, they're doing a lot more on their phones and on screens now than they once were. So, mm. yeah. 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 I just remember back to the, the show Comic Book Men on AMC, uh, someone brought in this old toy from the 1970s it was called marvel world and it was literally just a it, it was a paper doll set but with marvel superheroes basically it was a new york city set made out of cardboard with little cardboard figures of the heroes what? and villains and i, I gotta look this up <laughs> yeah, this one of the one of the guys had marvel world growing up and was super excited about it and he starts going on and on. He's like, you know, back when I was a kid, you know, we had these cardboard things and this was the greatest thing ever because we had all the heroes, all the villains, and we could make them fight. And he's like, why don't kids play with stuff like this anymore? And one guy just looks at him and goes, they have the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are some cool things that are happening on the internet too. Like definitely, um, you know, there are a lot of cool games that are happening in the digital spaces um, that also rely on, you know, a lot of social interaction, like social interaction like this, uh, which is really cool. Um, but I, I think like sometimes social media just like, you know, it just sucks people in so much. Uh, and especially, you know, kids who are younger, it gets, you know, very consuming. Very time-consuming. <laughs> but yeah, what, one other thing about kind of this mixing of mediums that you have going on here, we, we've talked about it already a little bit, but maybe you have someone who the idea of sitting at a table and rolling dice and kind of coming up with a story in their head, which is typically uh, what people associate RPGs with if they associate anything with RPGs, if they even know what the, the medium is, maybe that doesn't hook someone. But if you get someone who, you know, is, is passionate about graphic design, um, like immediately in my head, I, I think of 
there's this guy Finn McKenty on YouTube who does a channel called the Punk Rock MBA, and he's a graphic designer, and he also talks about DIY and punk rock and stuff like that. The game that you mentioned where you're making that poster, One Night Only, that seems like something that would appeal to him, even though I know, you know, based on everything from his videos, he's not someone who'd sit down and play D&D. Mm-hmm. So, you know, having a game that's based around a coloring book and paper dolls or making a poster or something like that, that's a great way to bring people into the hobby who the idea of just kind of sitting around rolling dice and making up a story doesn't appeal to them. So again, I, I have to give you guys props for, you know, finding that way to hook people other than just saying it's an RPG about this. It's it's an RPG about this, but you also get to do this thing. And so people who like that thing might give it another look instead of just going, I don't play RPGs or I don't know what an RPG is. Right. Thank you. Yeah. I think, uh, I, I think it is really important to bring more people into to role-playing games, right? There is still this sort of, uh, I, I would say like a stereotype of like, you know, people playing Dungeons and Dragons aren't like the coolest people. Um, and I think, you know, we're getting to the point where uh, we're, tabletop role-playing games aren't necessarily just fantasy themed or, you know, just using dice or, um, you know, paper and, and pens. Uh, it can have those things. It can definitely have those things, but I think it's, uh, it's cool to experiment. It's cool to, you know, try things out and, you know, see what's out there, uh, and bring more people into the hobby. Right. Um, and again, you know, these are, this is just a medium. This is just like a, like a, a way to tell stories. It's just like a way to interact with other people. Um, but like at the end of the day, I, I guess it's like the genre that sort of uh, might excite some people. Um, so like depending on what they're interested in, depending on you know what kind of stories they wanna tell, uh, this could be something that's for them. Absolutely. Now with you working within the Ravenloft setting and also working on, uh, you know, this, this horror game, uh, obviously there, there comes the question of horror RPGs and there's a lot of different kind of takes on what makes a good horror RPG. So I'll turn that question on you, <laughs> banana, in your opinion, what's, what are the key elements to making a successful horror RPG? What do you look for as a designer and as a player? Um, so as a designer, I would say, uh, I look for things that, uh, that players want to see, right? So fear is always subjective. That's something that, you know, we can't, we can't really just say like, you know, this is a scary thing. Like another person might just say, this is silly. Um, so I think that integrating what players want to see uh, that, you know, that they think is scary. That's something that you can always do with, uh, with horror RPGs. Uh, a great example of this is Bluebeard's Bride. They do a great job of like integrating, you know, fears that, uh, that, that, uh, the player characters might have that the players want to see happen in stories. Um, and then I think also about like the experience of, of, uh, of like dimming the lights and like, 
having the slow burning thing that slowly, slowly gets more and more intense, sort of like 10 candles where, or, or, or view screen, right? Where you're also sort of pushing the boundaries a little bit. You're using like a different medium to, to, you know, to play with horror. Uh, Dread also does this where it's like, okay, you're getting closer and closer and closer to this, uh, to this terrifying thing, this thing that will, that will ultimately decide, you know, what happens to your player characters. I think um, that sort of that sort of experience of like you're holding your breath and like you're not sure of what's going to happen. That's that's an important experience to have uh, when making when making horror games. Um, and then as a player, I think. I personally really enjoy, uh, I really enjoy seeing body horror, like in games. Uh, I love body horror. Uh, I know it's not for everyone, but for me, I, I love body horror. I love like, uh, just like weird stuff, <laughs> like weird stuff uh, uh, with, um, you know, when whether it's like creatures or like, you know, messed up humans. That kind of thing uh, really intrigues me, and also just like slow burning things. I think like slow burning psychological horror. That is what I'm all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the the body horror thing is it's an interesting uh, concept just within RPGs. W- one of the things that I think RPGs allows for that that gives it an advantage when it comes to horror is the most horrifying things for a lot of people are the things they create in their own minds. Mm-hmm. And so the, within RPGs, because it's so reliant upon uh, people describing things and uh, basically creating mental pictures and, and word pictures, there's only so much detail that you can go into in describing a situation, and the rest the players can fill in for themselves and whatever they come up with uh, may just be the most terrifying thing ever to them. So the medium definitely kind of provides uh, a lot of great opportunities, especially when it comes to creating just the most grotesque, uh, nightmarish thing with however many arms or eyes freaks you out in your own mind. That This really does feel like the medium for it. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with that. <laughs> I, In fact, it wasn't... Uh, I, I guess it's body horror in that it's body horror inspired, but one thing that will always stick with me is the way one of my uh, dungeon masters once described a mains. It was the first time we ever came up against a mains, and the way he described it uh, just with like all the different rotting pieces of flesh stitched together and the sheer size of it, I was just like, oh, <laughs> and now every time I think about mainses or throw them at my players, I just have that image that I created at the table in my mind of this thing. That's, yes, I I love that feeling. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean... One thing that can end up being, I guess, a little bit controversial or, you know, maybe not work for everyone. A lot of horror RPGs kind of rely on 
what Stu from uh, Vintage RPG once called table scares on the show. Mm-hmm. What's kind of your opinion of table scares? Do you do you think they can be effective if used correctly? Uh, you know, do you think some systems over rely on them? What's kind of your take on that side of horror RPGs? Um, I I think it depends on the game, mm-hmm. right? Like, hmm. I think like with most uh, with most games, you have to think about like the experience that you're trying to create, and if that's something that the players are looking for, and if that's something that you want to do, and that's something that uh, that you're designing for your audience, then I think it's okay as long as everyone at the table is uh is fine with it and they know what to expect um i usually don't design that way uh but um but i think you know for for some people if they enjoy it then uh i think it's fine Yeah, because, I mean, you mentioned Dread. Dread's kind of the one that, that Stu was really talking about at the time when, when we brought that up, because uh, we were talking about Call of Cthulhu and how that's kind mm-hmm. of absent from that particular system. And one other guest one time talked about playing Dread in the dark uh, with the Jenga tower over top of a drip pan so that when you when the tower fell, it just made a like loud clanking noise. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think if it's like an experiential thing, mm-hmm. like that's kind of cool. Like I, I think as long as, you know, again, I, I think as long as like players are expecting it, mm-hmm. um, then it's fine. Uh, I'm so like I, I design uh, games with like, you know, moodiness in mind. I think about it uh, with you know, with experience and with the space in mind as well. But the way I design is, I think more about like seances, like how seances work and how everyone there has to want to do a thing. They're all a part of the magic circle, right? So if you're a part of a magic circle, then you are all in, you are all into this thing. And uh, it doesn't matter what you, um, what like table scares you to like throw or lack of table scares that you throw into like the situation, it'll still be terrifying. Uh, It'll still be scary because you're fully immersed into it. Um, So it could be dead quiet. It could be like, you know, uh, it could be like sort of just just a bunch of people playing in the dark Um, and it'd still be scary, right? Mm -hmm. Because you don't know what what is going to happen to to your characters. And that kind of gets at what I think Stu was going for there and kind of my my thoughts as well on horror RPGs. And and that's, you know, the, the replicability of the experience. So, you know, you can play Dread in the dark over top of a drip pan mm-hmm. uh, with the Jenga tower. But, you know, if you play it with the lights on and just, you know, the Jenga tower normally it's not going to be the same experience that you had uh, previously. And then if you completely replicate the circumstances, you already know what to expect. Mm-hmm. So 
adding all of that extra stuff onto the experience, uh, while it makes a great moment, it makes a great, you know, game once, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when you bring that to the next table or the next time you come to the table, it you're not going to be able to recapture that. Right, 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 yeah. Whereas with, you know, something like Call of Cthulhu or uh, something that builds atmosphere and relies on people's mental images and, mm-hmm. you know, something like that, that experience is replicable and at the same time different for each table right. because everyone's going to have a different image. So there's always something new to be drawn from that rather than relying on some kind of, not to insult anyone or anything like that, some kind of gimmick. Right, yeah. And it is fun to experiment with different things, right? It mm-hmm. is fun to like, you know, have different, effects and lighting or like you know Mm -hmm. things like that but i think if it does if it does depend on it too much then it's um i'm thinking of this like in a product sense now right Mm -hmm. it's going to be harder to sell (laughs) it's going to be harder to sell and it's going to be harder for uh uh for you to get a group together to to do xyz thing Mm -hmm. yeah and that's Again, with to use another example of a game that very recently came out and people are thinking about, that, that's one of the things that concerned me uh, hearing about Alice is Missing. Uh, you know, you, you oh. play a game like that uh, with the unique mechanic of everyone's using their cell phones. Um, again, how does, that, how does that feel when you take that to another table? And I think they took steps to address that based on what I've heard. I haven't played the game, but... I can tell you, I've played the game and I would 100% play it again. I love Alice is Missing. Um, But also, again, I'm like one of those people that likes like psychological uh, horror Hmm. and stuff. Uh, But when I played it, um, this is like during the quarantine already. So it was like in my room uh, playing it there was music, it was like, the lights were all on, everything was like on, but the immersion happened when you're texting. So um, for me, I'm like one of those people that like, when I'm doing a thing on my phone, I get sucked in immediately. So like, I can't, I don't see anything else around me. I like, you know, this is why I don't text and drive. Uh, but like, <laughs> if if I'm like walking down the street, I'm on my phone, I would imme- I would probably hit into someone or something and I wouldn't even be able to like see it. But the immersion happens with the phone, right? So yeah. when you're playing this thing, um, like it's not, it's not really reliant on anything else. And you're just like, I mean, yes, there are cards. Yes, there are prompts. Yes, there's a timer. But the the big thing happens when you're texting and there's that immediacy. There's this like sense of urgency when you're playing because you need mm-hmm. to know, you know, what's going to happen next. Yep, definitely. Yeah. And again, not having played the game, uh, it sounds like there there are things that can you know make a second play or a third or you know continuous plays uh, still feel different and still you know have that same experience, which is mm-hmm. what you want from an RPG ideally. Uh, even though so many of us get a game, play it once, and then it sits on our shelves just because that's the kind of people. We, we end up being as, you know, content creators in 
the RPG world, mm-hmm. in theory, other people will buy a game and play it several times. Yeah. I I mean, honestly, I love one shots. <laughs> I just like love playing a thing once and then putting it away. But Alice is Missing is one of those games I will definitely play like again. But also one of my favorite movies is The Invitation. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's on yeah. Netflix. Uh, it's like a very slow burning movie. And like, I don't know anyone else that would actually sit through this thing twice like i would sit i've seen this thing like four or five times now i love that movie now is it one where you have to like keep going back to see different things that happen throughout the movie is that something that no nope. potential oh okay no nope, it's not even i just love it because it's so i don't know it's uh there's something about it that i just really enjoy so the premise of the movie is that um a, a couple is going to uh, one of their friends' dinner parties. Uh, they're going to a dinner party and um, they haven't seen this person in a very long time uh, because uh, one of the people in the couple, uh, he and the the person who's hosting the party, they used to be uh, they used to be married. And so they got divorced after, I don't want to spoil too many things, but uh, they got divorced and now they're seeing each other for the first time in like, I don't know, two years or something like that. And she's like completely different and she's got her own friends there uh, at the dinner party and uh, things take like a strange turn uh, because you realize that the the woman may or may not be in a cult. Um, And so like you're trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and even though like, I know everything that's happening in this movie, like I know, you know, what's going to happen. I still just like keep going back to it. Um, I don't know why this is like the only movie that I'm this involved with. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Cause I mean, like, again, two, two movies that I really love, um, are Donnie Darko and, uh, the Big Lebowski, and both of those are movies that I feel like you can't understand only watching once. But mm-hmm. yeah, that I mean, what you described is is uh, completely different. I will watch that movie. Uh, Tell me since, what you think since you recommended <laughs> sure. it. At at some point, I'm sure Elfie and I will will watch that movie, and I'll let you know what I think of it when when we do. Please um, do, yeah. Um, like it, I love uh, dinner horror movies, like dinner party horror movies, like that as a genre. I just freaking love. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean that that aspect of um, something happens at a dinner party, like harkens back to the very origins of the genre itself. It's it's one of the like Agatha Christie, uh, Edgar Allan Poe tropes uh, that yeah. that brings us what horror is now. So there, there's definitely some even Dracula. If you want to think of mm-hmm. Bram Stoker's Dracula as kind of the the origin point of what we now consider horror, it's a story that involves multiple people coming together in a mysterious house. So, mm-hmm. I mean that that is essentially the synthesized horror genre in one uh, kind of package, if you will, that scenario. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I was going to say, this is like coming back to a, we've taken like a whole 180 <laughs> and we've come back to Strahd. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I feel like suburban horror is definitely something I would like to see more in games uh, for sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting that suburban horror hasn't made its way into games much because a lot of the movies that I think of as kind of staples of horror have that suburban uh, setting. I mean, like Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm -hmm. uh, it's set in a camp, but there's a suburban quality to uh, even Friday the 13th. Yeah, Friday the 13th. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that that element is very present in people's conception of horror. So the fact that that hasn't made its way into gaming as much as it maybe could have is a little bit surprising. Yeah, I, I've seen a few things here and there, like, you know, Betrayal is obviously one of them. Um, there's that new, uh, there's a new RPG that's coming out too. I think it was Monty... Uh, Monty Cook? Uh, Monty Cook uh, thing. I don't remember the name of it though. Uh, or House. <laughs> Oh, The Darkest House. Yeah. Um, so there's The Darkest House. Uh, there's also um, uh, Rookwood um, by Nerdy Pup Games. Um, and I, I guess you could say Kids on Bike. Kids on Bikes has some uh, horror elements to it if you really want to go that route. Um, but yeah, there's there's not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of suburban horror stuff other than that. Hmm. Yep. And I mean, like, we we are now coming off of the uh, the monolith that was Stranger Things, so I imagine there's going to be uh, maybe a little bit of a, a a boost in that side now that the connection between gaming and uh, suburban horror has been made in like a major pop culture way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, I guess like going off of that, I would love to see some folk horror too. Mm -hmm. Like I would love to see like a Midsommar type of game. <laughs> that would be amazing. Hmm. Have you given Witchburner a try at all? I've been told to check it out. And I still have not yet like played it. Um, I really want to, but eventually, that's on my list. It's on my list, my very long list of games I need to play. I haven't been able to play it myself either. I've had, uh, I've had Luca on the show, but I've heard great things about about Witchburner, and it definitely has kind of those folk, folk horror elements. Uh, specific nice. to kind of the the Yugoslavia area that that Luca was born in, so Ooh. that kind of Slavic flavor of horror is is present for anyone who uh, liked The Witcher. Uh, Witchburner would be kind of the the quote unquote hard stuff of of Slavic horror that you got the exposure to from The Witcher. That's really fun. Yeah, there was this movie that I saw recently that has uh, something like that. It's got like a, 
it's a movie about a yotan uh, or um, a group of people going into the woods and then encountering a yotan. And uh, I forgot the name of it, but it was really good. It was really well done. I feel like I gotta look that up now. Horror movie. Uh, the Ritual. It was called The Ritual. It was amazing. Gotcha. Yeah, so... I mean... Folk horror is even something that, that you yourself have, have done a lot of uh, good work in so far from, from what we've seen from uh, from Jungshu, that there's a ton of folk horror elements in that. So, you know, I, again, anyone who missed the campaign, uh, once it's available, Jungshu is cool. Check it out. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. It is available for pre-order, so <laughs> you can still get it for a discounted price. And you can you can find out what the Jungshu are. They're freaky, and at some point, I imagine they're going to make their way into my favorite book series, just based on information that, that <laughs> has been given. Um, are you familiar at all with the Dresden Files? Oh yeah, are they going to be in the Dresden Files? I so there's the the white, black, and red courts of the vampires, which all kind of cover different ground. White court vampires are basically twilight... Va well, they're they're succubus and incubus, mm -hmm. but they essentially function as twilight vampires. They're, they're super pretty, and they feed off of emotional energy and stuff like that. It's They're kind of like sexy Colin Robinson. <laughs> so good. <laughs> I can't imagine that, but I will try to imagine that. <laughs> but then there are the red court vampires which are kind of like the modern monstrous conception of vampires they have the like ageless beautiful exterior but they're giant bat creatures hidden just underneath the skin nice and then you have the black court who are the oldest vampires and they're the bram stoker vampires and in fact dracula in the dresden files universe was published to teach people how to kill black court vampires oh cool but there's a fourth court they've mentioned and never uh expanded upon and that's the jade court they operate in uh mostly china and southeast asia and the theory is that those are the Jungshu. But, again, they've never appeared, so... That's super fun. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited. I mean, I don't even I don't even know much about... I mean, I played, like, one game um, that's based on the Dresden Dolls. Oh, sorry, the Dresden Dolls. The Dresden <laughs> Files? Oh, my God. Um, but, yeah, I am very interested in this now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the book series is fantastic the first book the actually the first two books are a little bit rough to get through but it's a series where every single book is an improvement on the last one so it's, it's it's amazing and if you like urban fantasy dresden files is is for you nice i think a while back the ip got picked up by um by a publisher for games am mm -hmm. i remembering yeah. that correctly okay yeah evil hat evil makes hat, right. all the dresden files stuff there's a dresden files rpg there's a card game 
right, a lot of good yeah. stuff. Yeah. I still have not played that RPG. As big a fan of the Dresden Files as I am, haven't played the RPG. I I enjoyed it. So I, I feel like, yeah, it's definitely something that you could try. I, and I could probably try it online too, right? Like I'm sure there are Roll20 sheets or something like that mm-hmm. for it. Yeah, I... Elfie reads the books too. My dad reads the books. I could probably get them both in on a game, even though my dad doesn't really play games. But yeah, I, <laughs> I should just get those books. It's yeah, it's past time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, as we're wrapping up, you know, obviously we can't talk much about them, but just to reiterate to everyone, uh, you do have in addition to these other projects, two very big projects that are coming out uh, this year, one of which is Dune. You are involved in that. That's coming in April of 2021. Um, Going into as much detail as you are legally allowed to, how did that collaboration come about? How how did you get tapped to uh, kind of work in the world of Dune? uh so this is funny um so uh my partner herb uh he met chris birch the ceo of modifius uh at a convention i believe it was pax east uh i could be wrong it was either pax east or pax unplugged anyway uh he met chris birch and um I guess they hit it off and then he somehow put two and two together and was like, you're a Libra. And then they realized that they had the same birthday and the same, like everything, uh, which was really strange. And then um, one thing led to another, I got his business card. And so I emailed him uh, asking him, you know, if there are any projects that uh, he needed help with. And um that's how I got on the project team for Dune. <laughs> um, but yeah, everyone on the team is great. Uh, they're a lot of fun to work with. Uh, they're very sweet. Um, and uh, I think, yeah, I I can't talk much about the book itself, but um, it's uh, it's got a lot of stuff to it. It's it's like chock full of stuff. <laughs> Now, if you're not allowed to answer this next question, it's it's fine and we can move on. But is it using the same like 2D20 system that a lot of their games use? Um, I believe I can say yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I think so, yeah. Gotcha. Because, again, for anyone who's unfamiliar, Modifius is, for one thing, great. Uh, they they have the Conan IP right now. Mm-hmm. Their, their 2D20 Conan game is pretty good. Uh, they also have my favorite Star Trek game, Star Trek Adventures, uh, which is a fantastic game. Anyone who's a Star Trek fan, get that book. Um, the way that game plays is just, it'll it'll be like a, a glove over your hand if you're a Star Trek fan. Uh, it, it, it hits all the right notes. I'll, I'll put it that way. Yeah. If they want to do more stuff with the Fallout IP, uh, <laughs> you know, fans out there, definitely push them into doing that and asking me to be on their writing team. <laughs> All I'm saying. <laughs> Are you a big fan of Fallout? I love Fallout. Um, 
and I'm going to keep pushing them to telling me, hey, you can write for whatever. I don't know what it's going to be, but I would really like to do something with Fallout. Here's Banana Chan's new Vegas sword. <laughs> I would love that. I would love to do something with New Vegas. That's like my favorite of the of all the Fallouts. Like New Vegas was the best for me. That's the one I, I've not played much of any of the Fallout games. I have Fallout New Vegas, but that's the one that everyone's like, oh, you need, you need to play that one. Yeah, it is. I mean, I absolutely love it because it's got so much flavor to it. It's like definitely the one that stands out the most. Uh, we're not going to talk about like, you know, 76 or anything, <laughs> um, but like even Fallout 3, uh, I mean, the previous Fallouts, like one and two, they're completely different games, right? Mm. Um, but like Fallout 3, even though it's like very good still, like the storylines and everything um, are great, like New Vegas definitely stands out in terms of story. And then obviously, you know, we've talked a little bit about it pretty much as much as we can, but you're also working on the uh, the new Ravenloft campaign <laughs> setting for Wizards of the Coast. I mean, that's got to be a feather in your cap right there. There's the, uh, <laughs> The, the big name, the one that everyone knows from RPGs, the one that, you know, you could look at a person on the street and go, you know what D&D is? They probably have some inkling you're doing work with them. So kudos on that. That's Thank you. <laughs> I really hope people like it. Cool. So as we're kind of, you know, running up against our time here, obviously, uh, you know, we, we've talked about some of the stuff that you have coming up. Is there anything else that you want to promote right now, just as we're kind of wrapping things up for the evening? Oh, gosh. Uh, so Josh is still uh, on pre-order. You can definitely get that uh, before it comes out. Um, there is also uh, Demos Academy, which is... Uh, a uh, the coloring book TTRPG that Austin Knight and Amanda Call uh, were working on about the boarding school, the creepy boarding school uh, that's got some like Stephen King vibes. Um, and One Night Only uh, by Sam Lim and I, I'm not sure when that's coming out, but uh, it is a thing that we are working on. <laughs> so <laughs> it's very exciting. Awesome. Cool. Well, guys, that is going to do it for tonight's uh, edition of Rolling Bones. Banana, it's been great to have you on and, and talk about all kinds of different topics from dolls to Scooby-Doo <laughs> to horror. Uh, this was a lot of fun, and I, I'm glad that, that you were able to come on and, and talk about this stuff with us here tonight. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Awesome. Well... Guys, next week, uh, we are going to uh, be doing a review of Escape from Skullcano Island. Uh, I have the book now. It is, you know, going out to backers. So we're going to talk about Levi Combs' latest uh, mad scientist creation, Escape from Skullcano Island. It's going to be amazing. And uh, I just want to say uh, for anyone out there who is interested in going to this convention, uh there is a high likelihood at this point, I'm still working out the details, there's a very high likelihood that I will be at North Texas RPG Convention this year. So if that's on your list, if you are wanting to go to conventions this year, 
uh, and you want to make it out to North Texas, you might be able to end up in a game that I am playing in or GMing, depending on if I can get something submitted in time. So that's something I'm excited for. I've been wanting to do gaming conventions for well over a year now. Uh, so that's happening now. And I am over the moon excited for it. So next week we'll be talking about Escape from Skullcano Island. That's going to be great. Banana, thank you again for coming on. Thank and you. until next time, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I am so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard. And I'll see you next time. Bye, everyone.